I have two questions for you. There's the normal question and another thing based on what we've experienced so far today. And here's the first one. Can you sense that God is on the move? Amen. Isn't it a good thing? And here's the second question. Are you ready to study God's word today? And then let's go ahead and get our Bibles so that we can follow along. Much of it is going to be on the screen today. I admit, I confess. But listen, there is value in getting used to handling the word of God in your own hands. And so even if you did not bring a Bible, which we encourage you to do, I've heard some people say that they're doing that for the first time in their lives now or in a long time. And so that is good. We want to encourage that. If you did not bring a hard copy Bible today, you can get out your phone. You can look these things up on uh, Safari or download at some point. Uh, don't do it now so you can focus, but, uh, but eventually at some point you want to download a Bible app like YouVersion, which is what many of us use, the YouVersion Bible app. So we are in week three of this series called The Secret to Lasting Change. And in this series, we have for the last three weeks been looking at this diagram given to us by Chip Ingram that, that reflects the way that our lives are ordered, that, that there are parts of our lives that are above the surface where everybody can see, but much of the value of our lives is down beneath the surface, hidden from the view of people in our lives. And down at the very foundation, down at the very bottom, are the beliefs and values that we hold dear. What you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about the world and about others. And those values, the things that you prioritize, affect your thoughts and your attitudes, the way that you think about things and the attitudes and feelings that you have. Eventually, that begins to spill out into your words, the things that you say, the things that you talk about, which of course then impacts your behavior, the choices that you make every day and the way that you live your lives. And so in this series, we have discovered that there is a problem, that for many of us, when we try to make changes that do not last, often the failure comes because we have started in the wrong place. So often what we do is we make a decision, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my life. I'm going to start doing new things. I'm going to stop doing certain things. I want to, you know, I want to start exercising. I want to start eating right, or I want to stop drinking, or I want to start reading the Bible every day. I want to get my finances in order and do what the Bible says in those areas of my life. And those are all wonderful changes, but so often we get started and we're, we're moving along, we're moving along, but before long, Something happens or we just kind of forget and we go back to the old ways again and again and again. And so here's what we discovered. What we discovered is that when we only look at surface behavior, we only make surface level changes. And when we only make superficial change, superficial change never lasts. And so what we have discovered is this, the secret, the secret to lasting change is that we need to go beneath the surface, down deep into our lives, in the ways that we think and the, the feelings and attitudes that we carry, and even deeper than that, down to our very beliefs and values. And so for the last three weeks, we've been praying this prayer together, Psalm 139 
verse 23 and 24. Let's say it out loud together. Here we go. Psalm 139 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, the secret to lasting change is that we need to do more than just look at surface behavior modification. What we need to do is deep down evaluation so that we can figure out our motivation. That, that's, I could almost turn that into a rap. Let me try that again. That, that, that instead of just behavior modification, what we need is soul exploration so that we can see the heart of our motivation. Because we saw last week that often change is motivated in our lives by insufficient motivations. And so we looked at two things. While we get ready to, uh, to look into this, I want to, in your Bible, find Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Last week, we looked at how often we are motivated like a car battery and a vending machine. Everybody say car battery. And say vending machine. Okay, so a car battery, we talked about the guilt battery for change in our lives. That if your alternator is broken on your car, the way the electrical system works is that you can start the car up on just the battery. And you can go down the road for a few kilometers, but, but then eventually that battery is going to drain, the car is going to stop, and you will be stuck on the side of the road. And so maybe somebody comes along and they have jumper cables, and they hook up the jumper cables, and they charge up your battery enough to get the engine to turn over again, and off you go until the battery drains down and you're stuck again. And we saw that guilt is an insufficient motivator for change, like a car battery, that it's enough to get the change engine started. And maybe we're headed down the road to change. I'm going to start doing these things, and I'm going to stop doing these things, and my life is going to be better when I make these changes. And often it's motivated by guilt and bad feelings, but after we make the change, eventually our guilt battery drains down, and we stop, and we go back to old habits. Until then we go to church, or we read the Bible, or we are around someone who motivates us, and we say, I want my life to be more like them. We start to feel guilty about some things in our life, and so that guilt battery charges up until we make a change. But it's an insufficient motivator for long-lasting change. That's what we saw last week. But this week we're going to see what is in its place a proper motivation for long-lasting change. And the answer is accountability. That what we need is accountability in our lives. This is from Jesus in Matthew 12, 35. But I tell you that men, men will have to, what? Give, give what? I, I just want to make sure you're awake. Men will have to give what? That we will have to give what? Account for every careless word we have spoken. Wow, that's a scary verse. That's a scary verse. See, see heaven is going to be more than just sitting on clouds, playing harps and slurping cappuccinos. <laughs> That, that there are levels of reward and, and recognition. In fact, if, if you go home and read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which I would really encourage for you to do. We're not going to look at it today. We don't have time. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in that chapter, you will find that it shows us that there are many Christians 
who will get into heaven by virtue of their faith and yet will stand before a holy God embarrassed and ashamed for what little they have done for the kingdom of God. And so we need to understand that we will be held accountable for the way that we live our lives, even as Christians. And so here's the key word. The key word is, or two words, I guess, healthy fear. Healthy fear. Now, there's a difference between healthy fear and unhealthy fear. Let me give you an example. I have a healthy fear of hot stoves. I've been burned on a hot stove before. And that healthy fear hopefully prevents me from being careless and burning myself on a hot stove again. I have a healthy fear of motorcycle crashes. Uh, I have spent a lot of time on motorcycles. I love being on the open road. Some of the greatest uh, times in my life have been on motorcycle trips. And uh, I love the feel of the engine and the wind blowing in my hair. <laughs> and, or I'm sorry, blowing in my hair. And, and, uh, and so, but, but here's the thing. I have crashed before as well. I've totaled a motorcycle. I've had a really bad wreck. But I was wearing the right gear because I have a healthy fear. In the summer, when I, when I wear a full face helmet, people are like, isn't that hot? I say, you know what? I, I don't have much in the way of looks. What I have, I want to keep. And so I wear, you know, armored jacket and, and armored pants and armored boots and, and the whole deal. And in the summer, people will say, aren't you hot? Isn't, aren't you hot? And I'll say, my wife thinks so. <laughs> because there's a saying in motorcycles, dress for the, don't dress for the ride, dress for the slide. And, 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 uh, and, and so I would rather sweat than bleed. And here's, here's the thing. Healthy fear can be a positive motivator for long-lasting change. I have never come close to having an affair or cheating on my wife. Why? I have a healthy fear that she would kill me. <laughs> no joke. But, but, but it's more than that. I have seen what one moment of indiscretion can do. I have seen families ripped apart because of a lack of judgment. And I know that I am just as vulnerable to temptation as the next guy. And so that's why I, I establish boundaries. That's why I try to be extremely careful about uh, being alone with another woman. That's why I don't go poking around on the internet to sites that I should not be on. That's why when sometimes people will recommend a movie or a TV show, if I know that it has sex stuff in it, I avoid it because I know I have a healthy fear of temptation. And so in your Bible, find 2 Timothy chapter 4. See, when you want to bring about positive change in your life, it helps to remember that one day you and I will stand before a holy God and give account for our lives. Not to earn our salvation. No, that is earned for us by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross who died for our sins so that we can be forgiven. So this is not about just our salvation. It's that when we stand before God, we will also be evaluated by the quality of our lives even after we have become a Christian. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 8, Paul writes these words to his good friend Timothy. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will put, not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Wow, we could, we could stay on that verse for the whole time, couldn't we? They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Verse 6, Paul says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all have longed, who have longed for his appearing. See, Paul went through hell on earth. He was shipwrecked, he had been beaten, he had been imprisoned, he had been abandoned and abused by this world again and again. And so what was the motivation that kept him pressing forward, that kept him running the race to not give up, to finish well? It's because he knew that there was a record being kept and that he would be judged for the things that he had done and held accountable for the things left undone. But see, there's more than that. There's more than that. That in the verse that we just read, in that passage, he talks as well about rewards. He says, there is a reward for me in heaven. There's a reward. Now, what is a reward? It means that you keep going through the hard stuff you're going through because in the end, you know it is going to be worth it. I, I know that, that that's not like a kind of thing because it means that you're going to have to go through hard stuff sometimes. But why do you keep pressing forward? Because there's a reward. And why do we keep pressing forward for that reward? Because it is our eternal hope in heaven. That's the good news. John Maxwell tells of a study done by a group of scientists who were experimenting with uh, lab rats. And uh, I, I'm not endorsing experimenting on animals, so uh, please don't send me emails about it. Uh, but it, it's an interesting thing that they learned in this experiment. They took a, a group of rats and they put them in this large uh, bowl, this large container of water, and they put them in a room with absolutely, absolutely no light, pitch black, absolutely isolated from any light whatsoever. And they left those rats in that jar of water. And in complete darkness, those rats swam and fought for their lives for three minutes before they finally gave up, they drowned and they died. So after that, they, they, they started the experiment again and this time they took 
a similar group of rats, they put them in that same container of water, in that same room that was completely dark. And this time there was a difference. This time they allowed a single gleam of light into the room. Just a single ray of light. And this time, those same rats for 36 hours, they swam and fought for their lives. What was the difference? A single ray of hope kept them fighting 700 times longer. And the good news is, for us as Christians, in your Bible, find Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But before we get to that good news, I want to remind you of last week, the insufficient motivator for change. The second one that we looked at was greed. We said greed and selfish desires and the hungers of the flesh and the hungers of our mind, the things that we want are so often like a vending machine. And you know you're really, really hungry and then one day you find a vending machine and you haven't had breakfast and you didn't eat lunch and it's about three o'clock in the afternoon and you're so hungry and so you just empty all of your pockets into that vending machine and you try to satisfy your hunger with two Snickers bars, a coffee crisp, a large Coca-Cola and a bag of chips. And at first it tastes so good. But the more you eat, the less good you feel. Until eventually you start to feel sick. Why? Because junk food cannot satisfy your nutritional needs. And the same is true with the rest of our lives. That so often we think that the things of this world will satisfy the hungers of our heart but they will not. Instead of focusing on the temporary pleasures of this world, God calls us to focus on the eternal hope of heaven. Look at Mo uh, Moses in Hebrews 11, verse 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Because the, the pleasures of sin are only a short time. We heard those testimonies this morning. So many lives being transformed from having years of buying in to the temptations of this world that at first seem like they will satisfy, but it's only for a short time. And then comes the pain. Then comes the bondage. But instead, Moses, instead of being enjoying the pleasures of sin for a short time, instead, it says, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking ahead to his what? To his reward. He was looking ahead to his reward. Hope can keep us going because we know that in the end, God is going to keep his promises. Hope can sustain you in an unsatisfying marriage. Hope can sustain you in financial uncertainty. Hope can sustain you in sickness and trial and temptation because we know that in the end, we who follow Jesus Christ have the eternal hope of heaven. No matter what you're going through today, things are going to get better. Amen? That's the good news. And so James 3, verse 18, says, Peacemakers who sow in peace 
will raise a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. I want you to remember this. Let's say it together. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. One more time, this time good and loud. Here we go. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Now let me interpret this for you. This teaches us a principle called the principle of sowing and reaping. And the principle of sowing and reaping is this. If you get a hold of this, for some people, this will transform your perspective on many of the things that you're going through in your life. Listen to this. The principle of sowing and reaping is this. You seldom reap the harvest in the same season that you sow the seeds. When you plant a seed in your garden, do you plant that seed and then sit up a little folding chair? And here you sit, watching the clock, waiting for that seed to pop out of the ground and create a vine that will create fruit that you can enjoy and be rewarded for the effort of your labor. No, that when you plant that seed, you know that it is going to take some time. That it might not be today or tomorrow or next week or next month or even next year. And so, in fact, the Bible says the harvest in our lives often may not even be visible on this side of eternity. That there are some things that you do in faithfulness for God that you will not even see the harvest for that investment until you get to heaven. But God has promised that when you plant seeds of righteousness, when you plant seeds of integrity, when you plant seeds of faithfulness, when you plant seeds of honesty, when you plant seeds of peace, that you have the promise, you will be rewarded with a harvest of righteousness. And so maybe at work, maybe right now your integrity is being tested. Maybe at school, it seems like everybody who's playing the game, everybody who's cutting corners, everybody who is cheating seems to be advancing. And here you are trying to live for Christ. Here you are trying to be faithful and honest and live with integrity. And everybody else is advancing and you're being punished. Listen, keep sowing seeds of righteousness because you will reap the harvest someday. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe right now you've gone through a season where you thought, okay, I'm going to take a step of faith and try to live according to God's word. I'm going to start tithing and, and saving and giving. And, but then something happens and that whole plan, all those good intentions just kind of go out the window. But when you understand that there is an issue of accountability, that God does not just give us money for the sake of our own needs, but that literally God sows into our life so that we will then plant those seeds in the work of the kingdom and that we will reap the reward of being part of that. 
And so then we begin to realize that, 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 that tithing 10% of my income and, and, and saving and, and giving and all of these things are not just financial issues, they are in fact spiritual issues. And that God cannot truly bless me until I begin to step in faith and, and walk in obedience in those areas. And some people say, oh, but I tried it. I tried it for a month. And God didn't come through for me. I tried tithing for two months and God didn't come through for me. I, I, I had a conversation with someone just a few weeks ago. And they said, Joel, our lives were transformed eight years ago when we took that step of faith. When we stepped out and said, we are going to trust God with our finances. And he said, ever since for these last eight years, we have seen God bless us again and again in very tangible ways. But you might do that and you say, but I, but I tried it and, it and it didn't work. See, you have to keep sowing seeds. You don't always expect that you're going to reap the harvest in the same season that you sow the seeds. Maybe you start reading your Bible and praying daily and you're trying really, really hard. But then, you know, life gets busy and then you start watching a little more TV and and a little more time on social media, and then, you know, you start sleeping in a little, and before you know it, that daily time with God, that daily time in the Bible just kind of has disappeared from your life, and you feel guilty, and oh, listen, because guilt is not a sufficient motivator for long-lasting change. What we need to understand is accountability, that one day we will have to give account for the way that we invested our time and invested our lives. That what we need is more than just, just the, the hungers and the desires for the things of this world. What we need is an understanding of our eternal reward that keeps us going even when things are hard in this life right now. And so in that triangle that we've been studying, we see that our behaviors, both good and bad, our words, the things that we say, and even down beneath the surface, our thoughts and our attitudes and our feelings and our emotions all rest upon the foundation at the base of our lives. And that if you have a good foundation, positive things will flow out of your life. If you have a bad foundation, then negative things are going to come out of your life. And so what is the right foundation? We gave you just a hint last week. Our foundation needs to be love. Love. It's one word, love. Love is the ultimate motivator. Tracy and I had a friend. Uh, his name was Kenny. And uh, Kenny, a, a, a friend from church, started dating a lady who lived 14 hours away. 14-hour drive. And every weekend, Kenny would get in his car after work at the end of the, day, of the day Friday, drive through the night 14 hours to go see his sweetheart, 14 hours, spend part of the day Saturday, try to get a little bit of sleep, Sunday afternoon, get in his car, drive back home 14 hours, 28 hours in the car to spend a few hours with this woman. I said, Kenny, you are messed up in the head. What is wrong with you? And he said, Joel, you would be amazed at what a man will do for love. You see, love 
love changes everything. You're going to start hearing that phrase around here a lot more. Behind the scenes in our staff, and we had a team that was looking at, at some of these issues and our purpose and our vision for the future. And our board over the last two months has been praying over this statement. That, that why do we do what we do? Because love changes everything. Why do we sacrifice what we sacrifice? Because love changes everything. Why do we carry this message of salvation to a lost and dying world? Because the love of Jesus changes everything. Uh, in, in, en français, aussi, parce que l'amour change tout. Love changes everything. But see, it's more than just the love of a pretty girl. That if you can allow the love of this God who has pursued you throughout your life, the Son, Jesus, who died on the cross because you were worth it, to him. See, when you understand that motivation, it changes everything. That that kind of love at the foundation of your life begins to affect your thoughts and your attitudes. And, and, and when your thoughts, your thinking, and the way that you process things, and your attitudes, and your feelings, and your emotions are built upon the foundation of his love, that begins to change your speech, the way that you talk about things, the way that you talk about people. And that begins to impact your behavior and the choices you make every day. I wonder if you might turn to the person beside you, behind you, in front of you, and I want you to say something to them, okay? I want you to, I want you to say to somebody near you right now, say, God knows you inside and out. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Say, God knows you inside and out. Okay, now look back at me again. Look back at me again. And here's the second part. And say, but guess what? He loves you anyway. <laughs> See, when you understand that, when you truly, truly understand that, it changes everything. Let's stand as we pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we pray for each person here today. For we know that we must build our lives on a solid foundation. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have a sense of eternity in everything that we do. That this life is short, but eternity is forever. And that all of our choices would be based on that reality, upon that truth. Father, I, I pray for some right now who throughout the last three weeks of this series 
even in spite of what all that we have talked about, there's that sense of guilt and condemnation because right now there's bondage. Right now there are addictions. Right now there are behaviors and attitudes that maybe someone here today knows are not pleasing to you, Father. But we know that you are a God of forgiveness. You are a God of new beginnings, that you free us from bondage. You break our addictions. You are the chain breaker. You are the life remaker. You are the hope restorer. You are the dream rebuilder. And for anyone here today who has never made that decision to surrender to you, that right now in our hearts, if that's you, right now in your heart, say, Father, I confess my sin. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross so that I can be forgiven. I receive your gift of forgiveness. Come in and change me from the inside out. That I would be a child of light, no longer living in darkness. That I'd be filled with your hope, no longer living in despair. So we surrender ourselves to you. As we sing your praise, that you would come in and restore our hearts, restore our hope, that we would be transformed into your likeness. In Jesus' name.